0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. michaelsflooringoutlet.com
3: And welcome to Overnight America. Wow, I probably don't sound so good right now. And I understand that because my computer... Right before the show said, oh, no, we're just going to decide to update without saying anything. Thanks, computer. So I'm trying to get this stupid computer to boot up and do its thing. There's these frustrations of it happens every once in a while, I'm sure, to pretty much every single person. And I'm staring at a screen where Windows is saying you can't do anything about it. So I'm hoping this isn't a precursor to what to expect on election night. Is it going to be a mess? Is this basically looking into a crystal ball? I don't know. But all I know is I'm just going to be on the phone for a little bit. I'm hoping that it doesn't last too long. I'm hoping it's just this first opening segment. So welcome to Overnight America. You know, we had the same thing. This is two nights in a row, by the way. My Internet went out last night while I was on the air, the Sunday night show. This is not good luck. Oh, boy. You know, I want to give you my prediction of what's going to happen in the different races in the election. I want to let you know what I my gut says for all these different races and i'll do that later this hour i feel like it'll be good to talk to rich Rabino and get some context of what's going on and he's going to join us in the next couple of segments as we normally join him on mondays i also welcome him back on wednesday with the opportunity to try to recap everything that happened and maybe some conclusions and who knows if there's conclusions or not but What I really want to do is we're on the night before the biggest election of many people's lives. I mean, as far as I can tell, this is easily the biggest election of my life. Not that 2016 was nothing, but I went into 2016 thinking, there's no way he's going to win this thing. This is going to be a bad night. I'm mentally preparing for a Hillary Clinton presidency, thinking about how terrible that would be. And all of a sudden, wait a minute. How did this happen? Donald Trump becomes president of the United States. This is so different in 2020. I think, well, we could try to reverse course, and all of a sudden, it's going to be an issue where um, we're going to actually have to take away all the different grounds that were made over the last four years, and that would make it even harder. You know, if, if anything, you would think, okay, Hillary would extend Obama maybe be a little bit more on the progressive side, but for the most part on par with an Obama. So eh, we weathered the last eight years. I figure we can do four more. I can't imagine going back after this. It's a, that's going to be the hardest thing to deal with. And part of the problem that we have with so many of the other different options that are out there, a lot of people are just upset. People are tired. People are scared. People are anxious. There's so many different emotions going into this one. It just isn't the same as where it was before. It just was not the same. And if this changes America, are we going to see just more unrest? Are we going to see so much of the problems that we ran into back in, I don't know, last year or earlier this year with uh, Minneapolis? Are we going to see more of some of the problems we saw just sweep major metropolitan cities in St. Louis? Is that going to be included? So many questions that I don't think anyone really knows. I'm hoping and i i'm hoping it's more along the lines of what mitch album wrote in one of his latest albums uh albums one of his more recent articles for the detroit free press where he said that hey it's not donald trump it's not joe biden it's us that needs to change this is just not healthy for the rest of the show after our interview with rich rubino i want to take your calls i want to take your gut feelings i want to know what your emotions are what are your fears What are you excited about what are you going to be doing tomorrow really i want to make this show about you as much as possible because we focus so much on the big candidates we focus so much on all the things that are out of our control there's certain things that we can do in our control and part of which is just try to ease each other and try to be there for each other and i think we're going to do that tonight So, Rich Rubino is going to join us right after the break. Don't go anywhere. This is Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. So, here we are. My computer finally did its thing, but for a good, oh, I don't know, nearly an hour, it seemed, maybe 45 minutes, it was in that stage where it just would not go back up. Ugh. Windows needs to update. Don't turn it off. Please give me a break here, Windows. Now, you decide to do this right before the show. So, joining us now is Rich Rabino, our friend that we check in on Mondays. American Politics on the Rocks is the name of his book. How are you, Rich? I'm doing
2: well. How are you, Ryan?
3: Good. I'm frustrated. I was ready to punch a hole through my computer. It, the it, really, it's more is, the or less. Uh, real. Well, that's it. Combined with everything else that's going on. So I just wanted to mention this uh, at the start of the show. Tomorrow being election day here in Missouri. Polls are open from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. Same thing in Illinois, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then afterwards, tomorrow night, we're going to be hosting our election coverage on 1120 a.m. That's basically a news Coverage so the CamoX newsroom takes over. I'll be doing a video stream, so I'm going to be relegated to the side studio, talking to some of the different personalities and doing our things a little bit less newsy. And it's probably best that I do it that way. So if anyone is wondering what we're going to be doing for the election tomorrow night, CamoX.com uh, or 11:20 a.m. two great options for you. Just put kind of, you know put us in your rotation of things you'll check in on for tomorrow night. So, uh, Rich, I just had to get rid of that business there because I started the show on my cell phone because I couldn't <laughs> get my computer working to uh, do the thing, but I think we're up and running now, so I feel a little bit better about that. Now, we are uh, just a day away. We're seeing, I think, close to 100 million votes already in before Tuesday, and that's amazing to me. I know. Um, you're, you're, we're looking at perhaps the most voted on election in the past 100 years, um, I'm guessing you're going to look at it in, as a way of it's going to shatter, really, the, the voting records we've seen in the past century.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, if you go back, though, I think in 1886, 1880, I mean, the the numbers were up at like 80%. I mean, obviously, at that time, it was different because you didn't have the female vote, and certainly, um, you know, African-American votes were disenfranchised. But, you know, I think we're certainly going to see records. Just if you look at the line, certainly we're seeing already, it's really amazing.
3: What do you think about the African-American vote this year? Because a lot of people are wondering what the turnout will be, and they're wondering, too, if somehow it'll be a record turnout for Republicans. Normally, I guess historically speaking, what of the African-American vote normally goes to Republicans? It's a relatively low number.
2: Yeah, I mean, it used to. There was a time when it was the exact opposite, going back from about the time of, you know, Going in terms of African American support, going back from the time of the Civil War to about the Hoover administration, it gradually changed and became Democrat. It began when Hoover tried to um, tried to go after specifically uh, white southerners, and then you know in 1928, for example, he was the first you know Republican to actually win the state of Texas. Then Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal started to appeal to African Americans, and then you had this walkout at the convention in 1948. Uh, when the Democratic Party, uh, Hubert Humphrey at the time was a mayor of Minneapolis and United States Senator camp from Minnesota, and he got up there and he proposed a civil rights plank, and it's the civil rights plank was supported in the Democratic Party, and then the Dixiecrats, led by Strom Thurmond, the governor of South Carolina, walked out and formed their own third party. Strom Thurmond later became back to the Democratic Party and then to the Republican Party. Then in 1964, what happened when Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act uh, that year was where you could really see the transmogrification. You know, Barry Goldwater only won six states. But look at the states he won. Mississippi, for example, he won like 87% of the vote. And that's where you really see the see kind of the end of the shift of the sea change, where African-Americans went from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. And in many respects, a lot of the white Southerners, some of them remained Democrat and some of them became Republican. But, you know, usually you see about... It's usually about eight to nine, ten percent that go that still go for Republican. Last time around, it was about thirteen percent of African American males who went for uh, Donald Trump, and about four percent of African American females. My guess is it's probably going to be about the same. Um, about the same. About the same. This election, I don't see a real sea change for African Americans going to uh, President Trump, but my guess is it's going to be about the same.
3: Yeah, some people are saying that you what you could really see is. Upwards of 20 percent. So you're, you're talking almost, uh, you know, not quite double of where it was in the 2016 election. And if that's the case, that could really change a lot of uh, outcomes in different states. And that's something that I, I'm, I'm going to be watching tomorrow, mostly to see if there is that sort of change in the country where you're starting to see things open up in that way. And is Donald? it's hard to believe Donald Trump would be the one to do something like that. But then again, he's kind of changed all of the norms when it comes to politics in general. And when you go state by state and what you're looking at, everyone's trying to figure out, OK, who's going to take what state? Is Pennsylvania going to go red or blue? Is Wisconsin or Michigan or Ohio? Places like that. Donald Trump is certainly going out making a lot of different stops, definitely more stops than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and a lot of Pennsylvania, a lot of Michigan. I think he's in Michigan right now, even. And those are the type of states he's trying to focus on. So what do you see are some of the key states that the two candidates should be focusing on right now if they want to be the next president?
2: Yeah, Turner's last campaign appearance is actually going to be in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the same place he um, delivered his uh, he delivered his last address, two thousand sixteen. So he's trying to repeat that, I guess. Um, Gerald Ford's hometown, by the way, where Gerald Ford actually was on election day. Um, it's interesting. I think that Michigan um is a hard state for Donald Trump right now. I think because um, you know Joe Biden, by the way, was in Detroit yesterday with Barack Obama. Um, You know, Donald Trump really has to kind of run up the score in a lot of rural parts of Michigan, places like the Upper Peninsula, for example, Whereas, I mean, Donald Trump does, rather, whereas Joe Biden really has to run up the score in certainly places like Detroit and some college towns, places like Lansing as well. I think that it's hard for me to see a scenario where Donald Trump actually wins Michigan, which is why it's surprising me that he's spending so much time there. Pennsylvania is interesting. Pennsylvania is one of the states last time around where Hillary Clinton lost by less than a percentage point of the vote. And um, it was—I yeah, think most people expected that Donald Trump was going to lose Pennsylvania, but his um, his ideology had the, had a certain appeal specifically to blue-collar Pennsylvanians, in part because of his position of economic nationalism on trade, which was different than kind of the laissez-faire, um, capitalistic view of traditional Republicans. So last time around, it was razor-thin, a lot closer than anybody thought. It, most people thought it was going to be. But Pennsylvania is still a state that you know Bill Clinton won twice, Barack Obama won twice. It's one of those 11 states that Hillary Clinton, that Bill Clinton had won twice in 1992 and 1996, that Hillary Clinton lost in 2016. This year, Joe Biden, it's almost like he's running for governor of Pennsylvania. He spent so much time there. He's really, I guess you could say he talks about Scranton being his hometown, although, you know, he moved out of there when he was 10. But he really talks about his ties to Scranton, to the state. He actually has campaign headquarters in Philadelphia. He's going to be appearing in Philadelphia He's doing. You know, you can't blame him for not spending enough time in Pennsylvania. Luckily for him, it's right next to Delaware. That's probably the critic, the most critical state. If the if he loses um, Del- Pennsylvania, if Trump, if Donald, if Don- if Joe Biden loses Pennsylvania, I think that would really be something. That would really be beneficial for Joe Biden, for Donald Trump. You know, in 2008, um, when Pierre John McCain was going to lose, he spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania, thinking that was kind of his last chance. The other state is certainly Florida. Um, Florida, Florida, Florida. No Republican has ever won the presidency without the state of Florida since Calvin Coolidge in 1924, back when it was part of the Deep South. Um, you know, Donald Trump has to certainly run up the score in the panhandle, in rural parts, in places like Fort Myers, in the villages, um, whereas Joe Biden is certainly on the places like the Gold Coast and Miami. Um, he spent a lot of time specifically going to places like he actually went to Little Havana. Um, Joe Biden, um, Donald Barack Obama, rather, has gone to Detroit as well. They're trying to talk to folks in the Nicaraguan community and the, and the Cuban community and try to make the case specifically why Joe Biden is not a socialist. Socialism is kind of a four-letter word in respects to a lot of the immigrants who moved here from places like Nicaragua and Cuba. There's obviously a reason they moved from those places that were socialist countries and moved to the United States. So, you know, Joe Biden's making his case. Um, Donald, Trump, um, Joe, Donald Trump is making his case in the northern part of the state as well, but if Joe Biden wins Florida, and I think the returns come in early, I really cannot envision a scenario where Donald Trump is going to win the presidency. Um, that's extremely important for him. Joe Biden can win without Florida. Bill Clinton won in 1992 without Florida, certainly. And the other state that's really it's really interesting, you know, Georgia and Texas. So Georgia, the last time it was competitive was 1996 when Bill Clinton lost to Bob Dole by about 50,000 votes. In 92, with in part because of the help of Ross Perot. And also because of Governor Zell Miller, uh, the Democratic governor, really putting up all the stops. He won the state of Georgia in 1992. That was the last time the Democrats won the state. But because there's been an, in, there's been an influx, certainly in suburban parts of Georgia, in suburban Atlanta, for example, some people from other states have moved in there, um, an increase in Latino population. The African-American population has to really have about the high turnout as possible and if the de- you know if it- Kamala Harris has been there, Joe Biden, the last week of the campaign went to Warm Springs, where Franklin Roosevelt, um, de- where Franklin Roosevelt stayed when he was when he was president, and and they're spending a lot of time there. The other state is Texas. No Democrat has ever won the presidency. I mean, has ever won the state of Texas since Jimmy Carter in 1976. It hasn't been competitive since 1992 with Bill Clinton. Um, this time around, they're seeing demographic changes, and I think they really think they have a shot at Texas to the point that. They actually had Senator Harris there last week, um, so they're really spending a lot of time there. And it's interesting, Ohio. Ohio seems to be one state that seems to be trending more and more Republican. But you look at the history, no no Republican, I mean, this is in American history, has ever won the presidency without carrying the state of Ohio. And since 1960, essentially, it's it's picked the winner of every single presidential election. This time around, I think it's about 50-50 tied in terms of uh, where it's going to happen there. And also watch the states. I know that you're saying Nebraska and Maine, why are they so important? Nebraska's obviously a Republican state. It hasn't gone for a Democrat since 1964. But there's one congressional district there right around Lincoln and, Ob- and Omaha. Now, remember, Nebraska portions their are congressional districts, and Maine does this too, not based on who wins the national popular vote, but so they get two, two, two votes. Whoever wins the state gets two votes automatically. The rest are by congressional district, and this one congressional district that's competitive, that Barack Obama actually won, and in Maine... Although Maine is likely to go for um, for Joe Biden, there's one congressional district that goes from the northern part to the southern part, the largest congressional district east of the Mississippi, and that's competitive. So you get to a point where it's about 268 to 269, that one electoral vote could potentially tip the edge to one or the other.
3: Well, there's one indicator I think you're really forgetting, and this is a very important one. Uh, here in St. Louis, there is a Halloween shop, but they're around a costume shop. Oh, yes, seven, yes. Uh, Johnny Brox. Great. And I know a lot of places do this and they use whoever buys the most Halloween mask as an indicator of who will win the presidency. And they have correctly identified the next president since 1984. Every single year, the, whoever buys the, the most masks, or whoever which mask is most bought and this year, 66 percent of the masks were Donald Trump. So you're forgetting, I think, maybe the most important poll. But let me ask you this just in polling in general. You know, Frank Lutz, uh, he does the polling. I think he's on Fox most of the time. I don't know if he he travels and and does other networks. But he mentioned if the polling is wrong again, like it was in 2016, if all the polls are wrong again, he said polling is dead. Uh, The the industry itself is going to die because, you know, you can't get it wrong two elections in a row. Would you agree with that?
2: Uh, I don't know if I would agree with that. You got to remember the polling last time. You're, in terms of the Real Clear Politics average of polls, they predicted that Hillary Clinton was going to win the popular vote by three percentage points. She won by two points. So it was actually pretty accurate. What the polling did not indicate, and what they did not, what they failed to account is certainly in the swing states, those surreptitious Trump voters in places like Ohio and Pennsylvania, who I don't think they thought were going to come out. Wisconsin, Hillary Clinton never made an appearance there in the entire general election. Because she essentially thought she had in the bag, so it's really the swing states um, that the, the swing states that the pollsters got wrong last time. But I think that people are st- you know people have this tendency. It's almost like an addiction to polls. People, want, especially in election year, people immediately go there and they say who's winning in Texas, who's winning in Arizona. It's hard for me to envisage a scenario where people are all of a sudden just going to say you know not let's not do that, let's not look at these polls. But um, it would obviously it would be fascinating if there was ever an election cycle though, and I always wonder this if there were no polls whatsoever, and nobody had any idea who was ahead, who was down, I think it would really affect it because there's a lot of people vote based on the bandwagon effect. I think lots of times hmm. people will see who their friends are voting and they'll say, I'm, you know what, I want to be with a winner, so I'm going to vote for this person. Um, that's why, for example, you know, if somebody, w- that's why, if somebody wins the Iowa caucuses, for example, um, usually that's about a, that can be a five- to ten-point bounce when it gets to New Hampshire, when it gets to future states, because a lot of people who are kind of low-peripheral voters who, don't re- who are on the periphery, low-information voters, they see this guy won, they say, you know what, I want to be with a winner, so they go, and they in other in other states they got this momentum. So you wouldn't you wouldn't have that, I think.
3: Ah, do you mind holding on after the break? Sure. We can talk more about the election. You remember the good old days when we were just talking about impeachment? <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. Uh, Rich Robino, American politics on the rocks. He's uh, going to join us. We'll continue our conversation with him next on Overnight America KMOX.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
4: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45 percent. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply.
0: News Radio 1120 KMOX,
3: the voice of the
0: Cardinals.
3: Welcome back to Overnight America. Rich Rubino is the author of American Politics on the Rocks. He joins us on Mondays. It's always good conversation. Good company. Rich, thank you again for sticking around with us.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here.
3: You know, I'm wondering about these rallies. So President Trump, he goes to all these different cities, different rallies, even uh, on the other ticket you find with Joe Biden I guess it's it's just not the same because it's not like a packed crowd. It's yep. more or less, you know, trying to keep things more low key, but still visiting some of these battleground states. I'm wondering, uh, do you think these rallies late into the political season, I mean, even the day before an election, do any of them really motivate or push the polls? Do you think they have an impact?
2: You know usually, I would say no it 's amazing when you think about it the first time. I mean, if a presidential candidate were to come to St. Louis, how many people would how many people would say, "Well, my, my the candidate came to my hometown, you know what i 'm going to vote for that person it 's hard just from from a layman 's perspective to try to think of that, and obviously, when the candidates are spending so much time in a certain state, you know, I think you kind of get a nerd to them you get kind of immune oh well they 're going to be here again, they 're going to be here again you know how many people are they actually persuading plus the people most so many people are getting their news from national sources anyways. Um. So, I mean, part of the reason you make these appearances is you get a, it's free media. What you're getting. So, if you're going to Grand Rapids, Michigan, all the stations in Grand Rapids are going to be covering your appearance. So you're getting that free media. Then, if the other candidate comes the next day to Grand Rapids, all the Grand Rapids stations are covering that. But as I say, a lot of people are getting their information from other sources anyway. So, I don't know how how much it actually affects. Now, if you look at when a rally, I think is probably it's probably um, saved an election for someone. I can think of a few. I can think of in mean, 2000, for example. Um, Bill Clinton went to Arkansas and campaigned for Mike Ross, a congressional candidate, who was running against the incumbent J. Dix- Dixie. Um, Dixie was a Republican who had voted for two articles of Clinton's impeachment. Mike Ross ended up winning by about one percentage point. Did that potentially give him the election? I think it's very possible. The other one was Kentucky back in um, 2000 and 1996, rather. Bill Clinton came there about a day before. He spent just a Herculean effort trying to win, but ended up barely winning the state. So there have been some examples where I think you can say, well, there was a rally there the night before. But I just think these rallies in general are just becoming more and more, um, are becoming less and less relevant. They're becoming almost more archaic because so much of what you can do is you can just, you know, go to the internet and you can, or you can just, you know, go on, go on radio, go on television, as opposed to actually being in a place. And that being said. If you go to an obscure place, you know, that's with 600 people, and you make an appearance, like when Joe Biden went to Warm Springs, Georgia, I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, oh, my gosh, you know, I actually have a, vice, a former vice president actually in my hometown, and some people are going to be going to see that, but I don't know how much how much of a difference it actually makes.
3: Yeah, I hear this a lot, and we, we hear it with some of the different, um, like Rush Limbaugh, for example, um, he mentions that some times these rallies are really to motivate those that may have indicated they want to vote but then they just don't go to the polls on election day or they just don't take the extra step so a lot of ways it's about trying to up your efficiency as in you're trying to just get the ones that you know would vote for you to make sure they have enough motivation and maybe give them a little pep rally to give them the enthusiasm if they were planning on sitting that one out
2: yeah that is that does have a, that does have a lot to do with it i mean there are, a lot of it is low propensity voters people that are interested in politics that are vociferous that are active in politics it probably doesn 't really matter if it 's going to be a rally because it 's not necessarily going to change any minds. And there are probably very few um, swing voters in this case. If you're in the primary, by the way, it's probably different because in the primary, it's more, you're not just trying to galvanize your own base. You're also trying to convince people because there are a lot of voters that are kind of free agents, if you will, entrepreneurs that are wow. looking. Some of them – in Iowa, New Hampshire, you have people you know, going to seven or eight of different candidates, different um, – different seven or eight different rallies. You know, when Mo Udo ran in 1976, he came up to someone and said, can I have your support? And the guy said, it was in New Hampshire. And the guy says, I don't know, I've only met you twice. You know, so, <laughs> um, but in the general election, you are, a lot of that is just simply galvanizing people. And I think a lot of it is saying, you know, is getting, if somebody, if you say, if they do, if they do come to your hometown, there's probably going to be some, going to be some interest, but these candidates spend so much time in these specific states when you go to a place like Pennsylvania, for example, I think most people are probably just saying, oh, the candidates here in the state, will again, you know, someone's in Scranton, again, someone's in Philadelphia, someone's in Lancaster. I think eventually you just kind of – I think a lot of people kind of tune out, but there are some low-propensity voters that potentially they could make the difference to these rallies. But there are just so many other ways of campaigning, and I think that um, – I think it used to be, by the way – in 1920, because we're exactly 100 years from the 1920 presidential election, very similar to this election, and in that election, similar to what Joe Biden did, Warren G. Harding did not campaign. He did not make appearances. He was in Marion, Ohio, um, and what he would do was he would have a front porch campaign where people would actually come to him. So people would come to his front porch, all sorts of groups from all around the country, and he addressed those groups. Meanwhile, James Cox, the governor of Ohio, was out campaigning, barnstorming the country, Um, But Warren G. Harding, of course, ended up winning that election in a landslide because he was, you know, a lot of the media he was getting was, you know, from local papers. Potentially, go and say, oh, well, a group from Pennsylvania is going to go, is going to go to meet Warren G. Harding, so maybe we'll go cover that, something to that effect. But I really don't think the rallies are nearly as effective as they, um, as, as I think a lot of people think they are.
3: Mm. Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, joining us here on Overnight America. And I'm wondering if you think there's going to be any surprises. Is there any predictions you want to make of what could be happening tomorrow?
2: I don't know if there's necessarily going to be any surprises. I would say that the elections that are probably the most important, if you're looking at the Senate elections, I would pay attention to to see if the Democrats... Regained, or gave, I guess you'd say regained because he once had a control of the Senate. I would watch a race in Montana. Uh, Steve Bullock, very popular governor of Montana, probably the only person who potentially could beat Steve Daines, the incumbent senator, is in, is, is completely tied 47-47. to 47. I would watch that. Um, I would watch that election. It's a state where Donald Trump won by 20 points last time, but see if Bullock's popularity can kind of overcome Trump's popularity in the state. And I would certainly watch other states. I would watch Maine. Um, Susan Collins had always been very popular in Maine, never really had a problem with her re election battles. Because she voted for Brett Kavanaugh, galvanized a lot of Democrats against her. She's two or three points down right now. Um, that's going to be a very interesting race. And then certainly other states, North Carolina, which is virtually tied. And if you look at the House races right now, um, can the Democrats actually potentially do a clean sleep? By that, what I mean, in 2006. The Democrats literally did not lose a single incumbent member of the House of Representatives. In 1994, the Republicans in the Nick Gingrich Revolution year did not win, did not lose one Republican member of the House of Representatives. If you look at at the races right now, the only only Democrat who's up for re-election, who's in a race that's lean Republican, meaning that the Republicans have an advantage, is Colin Peterson in northern Minnesota, and he's the agricultural committee chairman. They call him the King of Sugar because you know the, the, his district, um, his district produces more sugar than the rest of the country. Now that congressional district, he's very popular there. But he's running against a former lieutenant governor, and that potentially could be as it's really the only house, the only seat I think where the Democrat is probably favored to lose right now. But if, he, if they can win that congressional seat, then I think there's a possibility the Democrats could have a queen sleep win every single House seat that they that they currently maintain and potentially gain 10 to 15 seats as well. Which is really fascinating because some of the seats they won last time were in Kansas, were in Utah, were in places that Democrats really have no business winning. But just because this looks like a Democrat year, that's very that's a, that is a strong possibility. The other thing is there's one uh, there's one city seat in Alabama that's going against the tide. Doug Jones won last time; he beat Moira Roar right. in part of because he had a very weak opponent. This time around, um, you know, kind of the we come back to homeostasis, of, I guess you could say, and there's a possibility that Doug Jones could lose that seat, and I think it's probably a probability. And if he does lose, watch to see if Joe Biden wins, and potentially he becomes attorney general. That's my prediction.
3: Ah, look at those. Tomorrow's going to be a fascinating night. I don't exactly know what to expect with all of this, and it's almost hard to predict. I'm going to make my own predictions later in the show, and then we're going to open up the phone lines, and maybe people that are listening right now can make their own predictions on this. And And I think everyone's going to have a different way.
2: Yeah, we'll make one prediction. Green Party candidate Howie Hawkins will not win.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Joe Jorgensen, Libertarian, is she going to do a lot? I'll make
2: make two predictions. Joe Jorgensen will come in, will do better than Howie Hawkins, but neither of them will win.
3: (laughs) How's that? What do you... What do you think about the whole uh, third party vote? Do you think mostly sometimes when there's different candidates that people just don't like, they say, "Okay, I'm going to do third party. And then even, you know, going back to Ross Perot, which was a different thing, but uh, I know it's a completely different scenario. Really, do you think there's too many people right now that are thinking to themselves third party? Or do you feel like most people are just going to be so committed to either Biden or Trump that you're not going to see much of any third party this year?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be very low in part just because both of the nominees of the Green Party and the um, Libertarian Party, very few people know who they are. They have very little name recognition. Ross Perot had name recognition. Theodore Roosevelt in 1912 was a former president. In 1856, Millard Fillmore, running as a third party on the Know Nothing, he was a former president. He garnered 21%, actually won the state of Maryland. He had name recognition. This time around, there's very little name recognition. And also, I think so many people... I think the stakes are so – think believe that the stakes are so high in this election that they're willing to – I think people on the far left of the Democratic Party, um, unlike in 2000 when they supported Ralph Nader and some who voted Jill Stein last time around are willing to hold their nose and vote for Joe Biden. I think people who are more or less libertarian, um, I think that potentially could either support Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But um, I think that there are just very few of them this time. And, you know, you need, you need somebody – the problem with the, with third parties is when you, when you don't have somebody that has, this, that has name recognition, it's very hard for that person to make the case because, first of all, they have to introduce themselves who they are. And once you figure out who they are, then what, then essentially it's a matter of what your platform is. And also there's been very little coverage of both third-party candidates this time around, whereas there was a lot more of um, Ross Perot. And in 2000, you had Michael Moore, for example, holding rallies for Ralph Nader, and Ralph Nader get, you know getting 2,000 people to actually come to his rallies – um, so I think that it will be a very—it's um, a very hard sell this time around for both the Libertarian and the Green Party nominee.
3: So in Illinois, you have Dick Durbin, who's the incumbent. He's a Democrat, very yep. well known, very popular in the sense that uh, on the Sunday news shows he's a constant guest, right? So he at least has the recognition there. Most likely will be reelected in oh, Illinois. Yeah. Be- and then you have the Republican candidate is Mark Curran, who's running up against him. But then there is a third party nominee by the name of Willie Wilson, and he's with the Willie Wilson Party, which <laughs> I kind of give him uh, bonus points for being creative to create his own party with his own namesake. <laughs> Joe,
1: Joe,
2: Joe Lieberman did that in 2006. So Joe Lieberman ran for the Democratic, president, the Democratic nomination for reelection, lost to Ned Lamont and then he ran as a third party and his third party was called Connecticut for Lieberman I like it <laughs> and he won the pri- i'm sure he won the i'm sure they had primaries and he had you know i guess there was i guess you could f- f- form a, th- a fourth party Connecticut against Lieberman but actually Joe Lieberman is <laughs> interesting cuz he actually he was a member of Connecticut for Lieberman he actually won that race and um so technically he was not a democrat or republican but he did sigh he did um he, he did caucus with the Democrats, and when he caucused with a party, essentially you're a de facto member of that party. But then in 2008, he ended up supporting uh, John McCain. And after that, Harry Reid took him off a uh, chairmanship of the a, a vice chairmanship of a subcommittee chairmanship on the Homeland Security Committee, kind of as his um, punishment, if you will. But yeah, I think I think that all the Willie Wilsons in um, Illinois will, will bind together and support him.
3: Yeah, I'm looking at Joe Lieberman. I was wondering if he was in the news apparently he has said a few things about virtual debates and you know debate commissions and things like that uh i wonder who he supports It doesn't even matter i just haven't heard his name in a while i'm glad you. he does it have up. a son right.
2: that's running for the senate seat in Georgia. actually
3: oh cool so tell me if people wanted to look you up online what are the best places
2: yep you can see all my interviews just go to www.polita-geek.com Or go to Facebook and type in Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, or just see me on um, Twitter at Rich Rubino Paul, P-O-L.
3: The Rich Rubino Political Party, soon to be established (laughs) in the future. Uh, Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks. So the name of the book. Nice links you can get if you go to Plita-Geek.com. I'm looking forward to talking to you on Wednesday after the election. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Thanks for coming on tonight.
2: Oh, yes, it should be uh, titillating. (laughs)
3: He joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Oh, man. I have some predictions, at least what I think is going to happen tomorrow. I wouldn't bet your mortgage on it, but let's talk about that next, and then we'll talk about some of your predictions. This is Overnight America KMOX.
0: This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX.
3: Welcome to Overnight America. I wanted to give you my election predictions. We have about five minutes here to give these, and it it doesn't mean that you should take my prediction to the bank, and it doesn't mean that my prediction is going to be the same as yours. So what I want to do is spend the entire next hour with you. I'd like to ask you, who do you think would win? Who do you want to win? What do you think happens to big metropolitan cities like St. Louis after the election? Almost 100 million Americans have already voted. That's amazing. There's still a lot of time to go to the polling place, and a lot can change. And keep in mind, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., that's when the polling places are open in Missouri and Illinois. I found, at least from my own experiences, that if you go right when the polls open, it's <laughs> you're not alone, right? The, to me, it seems like it's more crowded that time. I almost want to wait a little. Let that crowd get through and then go. I kind of have the advantage of doing that, working at night, which means I have a chance to go in during the day. I just don't know how much time I'll be spending there, but I'll be glad to be there and to cast my vote. I think it's going to be such an important vote to cast, and I think you feel the same way too. So let me give you my predictions, and then all through the next hour, we'll take your phone calls, we'll take your text messages, and I want you to give me your predictions, your thoughts on what's going on here. So let's start with the governor's race. I do believe Mike Parson is going to win that one. I don't think it's going to be all that close. I feel like he's going to have a nice win in the sense that we're going to call that one fairly early. The first congressional district between Cory Bush and Anthony Rogers, I just feel people vote based on the letter next to their name. It's going to be too hard for Anthony Rogers to to take that one. Uh, Corey Bush is going to take it. And that's not good because you're adding another super progressive candidate into the uh, into Congress. This is not good at all. Now, that's the Lacey Clay spot. So it'll go from Democrat to Democrat in that sense. Missouri's 2nd Congressional District, I do believe that Ann Wagner will take it. I am so tired of seeing these Jill Shoup commercials. Ann Wagner flies on a private jet. And there was other really terrible ones. I don't know if you've seen any of these Lincoln commercials. The um, What is that called? The Lincoln Project. They do a lot of the streaming commercials. i got to say, they have some of the absolute worst commercials. And when I say worst, I mean... Wow, that is just disrespectful. It's not even what you would consider. You know, it, people think Donald Trump's disrespectful. You should see the Lincoln Project. It's not even close. There's so much worse. But regardless of all the ads I've seen, I think Ann Wagner's going to take that one. Uh, I think she's going to have a good lead, but not a solid one. I do believe Mike Parson will win uh, a bigger margin than Ann Wagner. Okay, St. Louis County Executive. This is Sam Page and Paul Barry Third. This is going to be a tough one, and the reason I say this is a tough one is because I feel like there's so much more support for Paul Barry than there is Sam Page right now. I really do believe that. However, Sam Page just seems to always get the edge with everything. I don't know if you've ever actually seen him do a speech or anything like that. He is not good at all, and if you've ever heard Paul Barry speak, I think he's got that grassroots—I think this one's going to be close— um, it's going to be tough to call this one. Normally you would just say, oh, they're going to take it, right? It's, this is the Steve Stanger, every, even he got reelected and beat Paul Barry before and you knew all the problems with Steve Stanger and you shook your head and you said, how in the world can anyone vote for this guy? He's in federal prison right now and there's still people that are willing to vote for Sam Page, probably because they ignored all the Steve Stanger things and wanted to do it anyway. So how can you overcome and defeat that? This is going to be a real tough one. <sighs> I say this could go either way. Um, I will say this. In in the county, whenever I go anywhere, I always see Paul Barry yard signs. I don't think I've ever seen one Sam Page yard sign. I'm I'm actually going to call an upset on this. I think Paul Barry has a chance to win, and I'm going to call that one for Paul Barry. I know it sounds crazy because you're talking about a predominantly, hey, it always votes Democrat, but I think it'll do it. Uh, circuit attorney, I think Kim Gardner's going to win. She just has the support. She beat out a strong competitor when it came to the primaries um, she's I don't know why anyone supports her honestly it's just that you're living in the city people will vote just because it's a D next to the name it doesn't matter all the problems she's had it doesn't matter all the upcoming problems she'll have it doesn't matter the violent crime and the offenders that she puts right back onto the street it doesn't matter that her prosecution record is abysmal just keep in mind when you have all the evidence stacked up against a candidate. What did, uh, what did they say before? The statistics, 90 to 95% conviction rate is what you would expect for someone that has all of it lined up in the cases that decide to put up. Her conviction rate's like at 50%. It's not even close. Just goes to show you what a terrible job she's doing. But I think she'll get reelected, sadly. Um, Missouri Amendment 3. So I think that's going to be a yes. I think people are going to vote yes on, on 3. And for President of the United States, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. But I feel like Joe Biden's going to win. It kills me to say that. It really does. It really does. Um, I I think Joe Biden's going to win tomorrow, and it it does. It makes me a little nauseous saying that out loud. I want to take your predictions next. Call in 314-436-7900 on KMOX.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours